left on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Todd Run Podcast. I'm your host, David Thay, here to talk with you about some Falcons and University of Georgia football. Good weekend for one team and not quite so much for the other. Um, if you're new to the show, please make sure to subscribe on your podcasting platform. You can follow us on social media, Facebook and Twitter. You can email us, Sports at gmail.com. So if you're a fan of UJ football and Atlanta Falcons football, the theme of this week was definitely offense. UJ showing they found a pulse for theirs, while the Falcons showing they have a long way to go with new head coach Arthur Smith's system. So UJ entered the game against University of Alabama Birmingham with a week-long controversy about who was going to start at quarterback. And there was all kinds of reporting that was all over the map. We heard everything from... Carson Beck was going to start, to JT Daniels was going to play through his rib injury, to Stetson Bennett was going to start. And it changed throughout the week, originally being Daniels is banged up but would probably play. Then as the week went on to about Tuesday or Wednesday, to Carson Beck was going to start, and apparently had told his trainer and high school coach that he was going to start. And then by Thursday and Friday of the week, it had changed to Stetson Bennett was going to the start, much to the chagrin of many a UGA fan for the simple fact that Stetson Bennett is kind of like the Honda Civic. It's reliable. You know what you're going to get out of it. It's not a bad car, but Carson Beck is kind of like a BMW. He's by far the sexier option, and honestly, UJ fans wanted to see what he was capable of. We know what Stetson Bennett is. He's a fifth-year singer that we saw. He started six games. We know what he is, but we want to know what can we? what's the future. And so... This debate raged among myself and the other guys in the podcast, Dr. J and Scott the Stat Assassin, about whether or not Kirby was making the right decision when the news came out that Stetson Bennett would be the starter. And one of the things that you have to understand about Kirby Smart at this point in his coaching tenure is that he is extraordinarily risk-averse. He still has a bit of that 2012 to 2014 Alabama in him where he is more than happy to hand the game over to a quarterback who can manage the game won't turn it over, and will play complimentary football as opposed to someone who is slightly less predictable and, in this case, less experienced in Carson Beck, more prone to potentially turn the ball over, whereas Bennett is someone that you know can manage the offense, probably make enough throws to give you a comfortable win, and he's safe. And that's Kirby's approach. This is why he went to Stetson Bennett last year when Dewan Mathis couldn't get the job done, and he was so reluctant to bring in JT Daniels from injury when he knew Bennett was capable of doing the job as a game manager. Eventually, it became clear that Bennett's ceiling was limiting the offense, and the Florida game made this more evident than anything. And so finally, we went to JT Daniels. Offense explodes, averaging 37 points a game at the end of the year, and it was clear that Daniels was the guy. But you have to understand that mindset that Kirby comes from when he's making these decisions. And so... For a lot of UJ fans, we're saying Stetson Bennett's a fifth-year senior. Carson Beck is, at this point, the guy that's been taking the majority of the two reps. He is probably your starting quarterback in 2022. Why wouldn't you give him a shot and just keep him on a short lease with Stetson Bennett waiting in the wings ready to go? I personally still think that's the approach they should have taken. But Kirby, knowing that Bennett would be a quarterback that is ready to go on short notice with minimal reps. 
elected to go with him, and boy, did he get good results. Stetson Bennett in one half, essentially, one half a play, absolutely lit Sanford Stadium on fire, going 10 to 12 for 288 yards and five touchdowns, which is a score record. Ties a score record. Five and one half. 10 of 12 for 288 yards and five touchdowns in one half. He averaged 24 yards in attempt, which is just absurd. He actually finished the game with a perfect QBR of 100. So, as nuts as that stat line is, Bennett played as well as the line indicates. As they schemed up some of the deep shots that were missing in the Clemson game, and part of that was by design. If you watch the Clemson game, one of the things that was clear is that they feared Clemson's pass rush and did not anticipate having the time to make vertical throws. Turns out we actually passed box fairly well, and we probably had time to attempt more vertical shots than we did, but it just wasn't the game plan. It was a lot of underneath throws. This week they came out with the complete opposite game plan as, you know, like 40 seconds into the game, Bennett's already thrown like a 70-yard touchdown to Jermaine Burton to get the game started. And it was just incredible as he was making strike after strike after strike down the field. Granted, two wide, stinking, open receivers. I mean, Jermaine Burton was open by seven yards. Brock Bowers was uncovered on his touchdown. Arian Smith was uncovered on his long touchdown. And he dropped dimes on all those throws. Some of the same throws, honestly, that UJ fans watched him miss in the Florida game and even a few of those throws in the Alabama game. And and when I think of Stetson Bennett and his inability to make throws consistently, I think not only of the Florida game, but the Alabama game, where right before halftime, he has three chances to hit a wide-open receiver on the goal line. It takes him to the third one to hit the touchdown pass to, put UJ, to keep UJ in front going into halftime. And it's because... Offense coordinator Todd Munkin drew up three fantastic plays, and he missed the first two. And what you saw here was Bennett looking very, very sharp and not missing. And to me, it's a testament to the fact that Todd Munkin is about as good as they come at drawing up these kind of deep shot plays. And if you give him a quarterback that can hit him, it's straight fireworks. So I expect to see a lot more of this when JT Daniels returns next week against South Carolina us being very aggressive with downfield passing, which is something that they clearly wanted to work on. It was even stated in the post-game interviews by Stetson Bennett. And I think it's also very clear that Bennett is the number two quarterback at this point. And one of the things that Scott brought up was you've heard all offseason how Carson Beck's been taking the number two reps. And Scott's point was the reason that the the reason that's likely the case is because Bennett doesn't need to get the number two reps because he's already so well ingrained in the offense. Having played so much last year, he doesn't need the number two snap reps to be ready to play. Whereas the younger guy, Carson Beck, while he's not really the number two, probably does need those reps to get up to speed. I thought that was an interesting point, and that seems to be the case as Bennett, who essentially came into this game cold after one day of practice and then lit lit up Sanford Stadium. So... That definitely seems to be the case. Um, I still would have started Beck. I would have been wrong because he was not nearly as effective as Bennett was. And it's worth saying that Beck didn't get the run with the ones that Bennett got. Actually, the first series Beck came in, I think he handled the ball three times, which was kind of dumb. It was a little PTSD for UJ fans of Justin Fields. But Beck went 4 of 10 for 88 yards, one touchdown and one pick. And he just... 
didn't overall look as sharp, as accurate, or as confident running the offense. Not shocking for a guy really getting his first significant playing time, but you just kind of hope he play a little bit better. And as a quick detour back to Stetson Bennett, he threw an 89-yard touchdown to Brock Bowers, our true freshman tight end. 89-yard wheel route, which Bowers caught and ran the last 70 yards with untouched. Outrunning an angle from a safety at UAB. And I'm asking UJ fans this. When is the last time UJ had a tight end that could have taken a wheel route 89 yards of the house and outrun a DB with an angle? I mean, are we talking like, are we talking like Orson Charles? And this is the point that Scott and I made over and over and over again. Charlie Warner, Isaac Nada, Arthur Lynch, they ain't scoring that touchdown. And if you wonder why these UGA tight ends haven't been high-round draft picks, it's because guys that run 4.8s and 4.9s aren't considered receiving tight ends in the NFL. This kid, Brock Bowers, is going to be a receiving tight end in the NFL. And that that kind of speed that he showed was something that we haven't seen at the tight end positioning for UGA in years. Now, one thing that was worth noting is that UJ did not look particularly effective running the ball. 38 carries for 163 yards was isn't, you know, terrible. But just you didn't leave this game expecting Stetson Bennett to have the longest run of the game at 20 yards. And the carries were really spread around. Zamir White had seven for 34. And then Kendall Milton had eight for 26. But Dejon Edwards was the second leading rusher with seven for 29 in garbage time. And you know, none of them had a run longer than 14 yards. And so you just you just kind of expected UJ to kind of assert their will at the line of scrimmage. And running the ball, that was not the case. The Blazers, who did have a very, very good defense last year, I believe a top 10 rated defense um, last year, played a really stout run defense in the front seven. And UJ really just was about three or four yards a pop. I think that was made up for in the way we pass protected. And so it'll be interesting to see as we – dive into SEC play with South Carolina next week if UJ's run game does improve. Because, again, it wasn't bad, but it was a little surprising that we had so much difficulty blocking the front for UAB, which, again, is a good defense. But you're going to see better defenses in the SEC, and it was a little surprising that UJ wasn't a little more effective and dominant and asserting their will at the line of scrimmage. Now, speaking of the line of scrimmage, it was an enormous problem for the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday as they fell 32-9 to the Eagles. And their game could not have been any more different from the 56-7 romp that UJ had over UAB, in which UJ's only touchdown allowed was off a of pick six. Meaning that, yes, the UJ defense has actually outscored the opposing team's offenses on the season still but for the Falcons the defense wasn't good the offense wasn't good and it just felt like deja vu watching the defense crumble in the fourth quarter the offense unable to protect Matt Ryan and us just limp through this game on their way to a 32 to 6 loss red zone issues poor protection all the stuff that haunted you last year minus terrible clock management in the fourth quarter was there and I suppose if there's any good from the game is that we did run the ball very effectively in the first half. I believe over 100 yards of rushing in the first half. Cordell Patterson looked extremely good. I believe he had seven carries for 54 yards. And Mike Davis had 15 for 49. Overall, the Falcons had 26 rushes for 124 yards, which isn't bad. But once they got down late in the second half, 
there wasn't, you know, a lot of opportunity for them to run the ball. And essentially they had to start chucking it. Matt Ryan ended up throwing the ball 35 times. And Matt Ryan's line for the game, 21 of 35 for 164 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, QBR of 17.6, and a quarterback rating of 71.6. And 35 attempts that only netted 164 passing yards is horrible. 4.7 yards in attempt. So the Falcons got nothing vertically throwing the ball. Forced the ball to Kyle Pitts a little bit late in garbage time to get his stats up. But, I mean, the, the offense just didn't do a lot throwing the ball. And the first couple of drives of the game, the Falcons went straight down the field with really effective running in the short passing game. But anytime the Falcons got at a penalty or got behind the sticks, the Eagles heated them up with just a four-man pressure but they weren't worried about stopping the run so they could get up. And they only sacked Matt Ryan three times. But, God, it felt like in the fourth quarter, on every significant third down, there was pressure or a penalty. And penalties were another theme of the game. The Falcons had 12 penalties for 99 yards. But one of the issues was that the penalties were on offense. Two PIs that erased big, big chunk plays in the uh, second half, both of which were probably the correct calls. But between the penalties and the poor protection in the second half, the Falcons looked very much like their 2021 selves, as did their inability to convert in the red zone because those two drives that were very successful to open the game both ended in field goals, including the second drive where they had first and goal on the two-yard line, got a penalty, ended up having to kick a field goal. And... One of the things that I will take Arthur Smith to task for early on in his coaching career is that on the first drive we entered the red zone, it's third and goal, and we have Lee Smith, our blocking tight end, split out at receiver, and Kyle Pitts, the guy that you just spent the number four pick in the draft on, is not on the field. That's indefensible to me. Indefensible to not have Kyle Pitts on the field and third and goal in a need-to-score situation i don't understand that but one of the question marks coming into this game is what the falcons would do at left guard which you're feeling pretty good about left tackle jake matthews who's just solid caleb mcgarry a question mark but not necessarily a hole chris lindstrom you feel pretty good about you're not really sure about matt hennessy but you think he might be an answer and there's just a big old hole at left guard. You plugged in Josh Andrews, who wasn't expected to win the job, and then he gets hurt, and you plug in Jalen Mayfield, who, if you watched him in the preseason, was very up and down, to say the least, and he struggled in pass protection in a lot of the games, and boy, he was exposed in the fourth quarter of this game. And it wasn't just him. There's at least one play where I saw Matt Hennessy literally pushed into Matt Ryan's legs, knocking him down for a sack. It was just a mess. And so, again, it wasn't all bad on offense, but the Falcons have to figure out how to score in the red zone because if you get two touchdowns instead of two field goals start the game, both times inside the 10, the entire outlook of this game is different. And then going over to the even side of the ball, it was a lot of what we saw last year. There was still very, very little pass rush. The tackling, I thought, was better than it was last year, at least in the first half. But there was very little pass rush early in the game as we kind of felt Philadelphia out. We didn't get very much pressure with four. A few times we could get Jalen Hurts to move off his spot, but we really couldn't get him on the ground. And we blitzed Hurts a lot starting in the second quarter, but we really didn't get to him. 
And Philly had a great game plan. Hertz looked super comfortable. He looked super efficient. They have built an offense doing exactly the things that he did at the University of Oklahoma. RPOs, quick throws, and it was like death by a thousand paper cuts. Hertz was really accurate. He was really decisive. He didn't make very many throws that were longer than 12 or 15 yards. He escaped multiple sack attempts. There's one time where Grady Jarrett on twist has him dead to right and just whiffs, and Hertz scrambles for first down. And his ability to get out of the pocket, get out of pressure, and even to and even to convert first downs on design runs, he had several good runs off his own reads. I think he ended up with 62 yards rushing. It was something the Falcons just didn't seem what they were ready for. And part of that's a function of having a guy that hasn't played a whole lot and a new coach with a new scheme. And I tell you what, the Eagles and what they're doing on offense with Hurts was very, very impressive. Thankfully, the Falcons are in a division full of complete statues, and so they don't have to worry about this. Cam Newton's no longer in the division. But I'll just say this as a takeaway. If you're a Falcons fan, there just wasn't a lot that you saw in this game that you could be excited about. Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts didn't have big games. And, you know, in a game where you're trailing by this much at the end, you think maybe you can get some garbage time yardage to maybe at least make you feel better about how they're doing statistically. There wasn't even that. And so you leave this game feeling like Matt Ryan is still good enough. He's got to get help. And behind this line, you just wonder, there were some drop passes. The protection was poor. He did get a little bit of a running game. But there was just nothing you saw out of this Falcons offense or even to make you feel like, yes, we are significantly improved over last year. And I think as a Falcons fan, that's ultimately the biggest disappointment is that you feel like, you haven't really made much progress, and it looks like it's going to potentially be a long season. And Tampa Bay is coming in next week, which is probably another L, putting you at 0-2. And the schedule gets easier after that. But as a Falcons fan, I think my hope for next week is that we at least see one side of the ball take a big step forward, more than likely the offense. And that starts by, you know, scoring touchdowns and not field goals. So the story of this week, UJ finds their offense. The Falcons don't. And here's hoping that Arthur Smith can found some of his Tennessee magic by next week when the Falcons face a buzzsaw in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This has been Dave Bethea for the Title Run Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.